Hi, everyone, and welcome to Elite Rugby SNC podcast. First off, if you haven't already, sign up and join Elite Rugby SNC today. We provide you with all your strength, conditioning, speed, and recovery needs. You can try before you buy, so try a seven day, seven dollar trial and get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. Also, sign up to our newsletter and receive bonus content each and every single week. So, take your game to the next level and become a beast and join our community today. So today I'm joined by Matthew, uh, Dr. Matthew Jeffrey, sorry, almost forgot that, who is the uh, business development manager for Hit IQ. They are the next gen concussion management technology. They do measurement, assessment, and management of concussion sy- symptoms in elite and junior contact sports. His previous roles, he worked as an SNC coach at Newington College, looking after the first and second 15 in rugby, and has also been the referees performance coordinator and SNC coach with the NRL, which is very impressive. His education, he was at University of, oh, sorry, University of Technology in Sydney for eight years. He has done his PhD, as I mentioned. He's previously at University of Newcastle as well, doing honours in biomechanics and his Bachelor of Sport and Exercise Science as well. So good day, Matthew. How are you? G'day, Kieran. Thanks for having me on, mate. I'm very well. That's good. Hopefully I got that introduction correct. And um, yeah, sorry that I almost didn't call you doctor. No, that's all right, mate. No worries at all. <laughs> so today we're going to get um, just get, get to know you better and what, what you're doing and, and how you're changing the game. Um, so before we get really in depth, what sports did you grow up playing? Mate, I grew up uh, in the bush in Tamworth. So I pretty much had a dabble at everything that was on offer. Um, school, league and union. Um, and then sort of in my more senior years transitioned into a bit more basketball and touch footy. But uh, there was a few stints of tennis and uh, field hockey, uh, a bit of soccer in there as well. So a very mixed bag. Wow. So you're a well-rounded athlete. That's what you're trying to tell us. I, I wouldn't describe myself as a well-rounded. I'm well-rounded, but not, not as an athlete. <laughs> did you find playing all those sports um, helped? Like, did, did you then end up just playing one particular sport when you're older? Yeah, so the focus, our high school growing up was quite good at basketball and my core group of friends, um, we sort of focused a bit more on basketball and that sort of became the drive and and what we were playing in the backyards and the driveways growing up. So um, tended to move a little bit more away from the rugby codes and then more into basketball just because that, yeah, that's what my group of core friends sort of played as, uh, as we were in year you know, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, that's all good. What what brought you back to to rugby then? Was that being the SNC coach? Yeah, a little bit. So um, I, I did. I originally for university, I was enrolled in a bachelor of business, which is funny because that's sort of what I'm trending towards <laughs> now. But uh, I did a gap year overseas, and when I came back, I realised I wanted to get into sports science. Uh, I had a real love of science in eleven and twelve. I uh, did chemistry and physics. So I had a really solid science background, but then obviously playing all those different sports as well, I was really intrigued. And when I completed high school, it was sort of really only a new sort of profession. But as you can see now, there's there's so many people in the SNC world and sports science, and it's really emerging as um, the next frontier of where, where people are sort of um, growing and developing with sport. It's a very popular degree and a very popular profession. Mm. It's cool to see your path from going like I really like science, but then going to business and then went to the SNC, but now you're back to business. So, or doing both. So that, yeah, it's really cool, cool little journey that you've been on. So on becoming a coach, what made you decide to go down the academic path to then get to get your PhD? 
similar sort of uh, angle that I realized that it's becoming very popular. And I thought I needed to continue that education to give me that, that edge and that advantage, uh, particularly just when hunting in the jobs market. Um, so I was lucky enough to complete the bachelor's at Newcastle Uni on the central coast at the campus they have at Arima there. And then following uh, the bachelor's, I, I did an honours in biomechanics over two years and we had a really solid research group there headed by Dr. Bob Lockie, who's now over in the States. Um, and we were able to be exposed to a lot of the junior athletes at the Central Coast Academy, uh, Wyong Netball, a, a few different clubs and sports. And we helped them with sports science practices as well as a bit of um, you know adolescent athlete data collection. And we had a few papers published out of that. And that sort of got me into the um, SNC world, a bit of the research world as well. And then following um, my honours, which looked at um, ankle taping in basketball players through the uh, Central Coast Crusaders, I then decided, well, I was actually offered a, a PhD scholarship through UTS to be industry embedded with the NRL referees. And that sort of just became a natural progression um, when I was lucky enough to get offered that scholarship. Um, it was a big choice because it, it, we did try to commute from the central coast to Sydney, but it didn't last very long. And we soon realized we had to pack up and move to Sydney for work. So that's sort of how I fell into it, really. There was no um, sort of overall grand design. It just it happened that way and it sort of fell at my feet. And um, it was really unique working with the referees. So I, I picked up the chance and I just thought, well, while I'm on the academic train, I might as well just keep rolling and finish it all off. How did you find that experience working with the, with the NRL referees? Oh, I loved it, mate. It's very, very different. A lot of people sort of don't realise the amount of training and preparation that the referees do. Um, when I was there, there was 20 full-time referees that were all based in Sydney. And that meant that they would do a full training week like, like a team and they would prepare like a team for the upcoming matches. Uh, we also had a squad of about 30 to 50 external part-time referees. So we're, we uh, were involved with the management of their training and preparation as well. So when you consider from a, an SNC background or performance uh, manager background, it was, it was quite unique in that the first sort of few days of the week would be your debrief and your recovery post-match. But then instead of having the one game to prepare for that weekend, there were eight games across four different nights. And what made things difficult from a, like a training load and periodization model was that we didn't actually know which referees would be appointed to which games until the Monday evening sort of 9 10 p.m and then mm. once we got the appointments it was all hands on deck to quickly work out where everyone's training loads were what their requirements were with travel um you know you'd have some referees that were doing two-day turnarounds and some were doing eight or nine day turnarounds so you very quickly had to work out the schedules because a lot of these guys have families they needed to be able to tell their wives and, and partners like when they could pick up the kids from school what days they had off etc cetera, etc cetera. so a commitment we had to the referees was to do that as quickly as we could so that they could help plan their life around side footy as well and mm. just ease the burden on the families. But uh, to give you an idea of what the training week would look like, so they would have two to three strength sessions, again, depending on their turnaround. Uh, we'd have a at least one on-field conditioning session that was during the week. And then we'd have typically what we called like a captain's run where the referees would be put into their officiating team for that weekend and we do some field-based stuff. Uh, now, it was a little bit scary from an SNC because the referees were playing football against each other and some of them had different levels and backgrounds in rugby league. So uh, some, some of it was cringeworthy sometimes from an injury management perspective, but uh, 
when we could, we offered uh, some of the Sydney clubs and all the clubs for the referees to attend training. So that way they could actually um, officiate um, the athletes to the standard that they're going to get on the weekend in the NRL, because that's ideally what you want to do. Mm. So we would utilize that um, a lot when we could. And that was really good from uh, like our training because you, again, you, you're doing the tempo and the speed of officiating that they need to do on the weekend. So that's how we'd use that. A big focus for us was on the recovery. Um, the average age of the squad when I was there was 37. So you've got some guys that, you know, up to 42, 43, 44 years old, and they've trained for a long time. Some of the uh, referees had a playing background as well. So they have some injuries and niggles that they've carried on from their playing career. So recovery was sort of paramount for us. Uh, and then on top of that, because decision-making and game management is the bread and butter for the referees, what we tried to do in all our training sessions was incorporate some cognitive aspect or some, um, you know, psychological skill component into their training, particularly under fatigue. So for instance, we might get the referees, we'd cut, we'd cut a database of decision clips and then we'd fatigue them to, you know, 70, 80% heart rate threshold and then have them quickly make a decision based on some footage. Or we might do something similar on a bike and then have them communicate to each other because a lot of people don't realize that while the referees are officiating, they've got a communications vest. So they're always in direct communication, not only with the players, but the two touch judges as well. And when I was with the group, they also had the second on-field referee, which the NRL doesn't use that system anymore, but there's a lot of information. So when they're communicating, the information has to be concise. So when they're fatigued, that can sometimes get a bit, uh, um, you know, a bit difficult depending on on the officials themselves so there's a lot of trust and we try to incorporate that component into their training sessions as well given that their decisions are what they're judged on mm. i think all rugby athletes can understand that being really fatigued and all that during a game and you're just screwed at the communication is the first first thing to go so just imagine what the ref's going through, having to deal with everyone on the field and then there's huffing and puffing and then got two referees at either side of them. And if you're NRL, you've got the bunker as well. Like they are doing a lot. So I think a bit more respect needs to be put onto those refs, especially the ones doing multiple games. Like that's, that's a lot of kilometers getting in those legs, especially older ages as well. So um, yeah, definitely to our listeners out there, throw a bit of respect towards the referee and just, just don't, don't be so harsh, especially yeah, if they make we- a wrong decision. <laughs> we'd, see, we'd see about in a typical game, and now it's changed a fair bit depending on the rule changes, but about 10 kilometres a game on average. So from a training perspective at the start of our pre-season, we'd really develop that cardiovascular base. But then as we move closer to the season, we transfer them more to a power-based athlete because um, they've got quite different movement patterns. Uh, and when they need to go, if there's a break in play, they need to be in best position. Mm. So they need to be quite... Uh, agile and have um, a high sense of evasion as well. Often when they're setting the 10, because their visual focus is on the ruck, there's players and forwards typically around the centre of the field that will bump them out of the way. So they need to have that sort of sense of evasion. And the amount of times that the the referee got their foot stood on by, you know, 120 kilo prop, Mm. they need that sense of evasion, particularly in open play. If there's a break, they need to be able to get around players and not impede any of the players. Mm. Especially just just running and then out of nowhere players come like whoa they have to do a quick change of direction so yeah definitely big yeah that's right training. And, 
and their visual focus is, is always on the ball. So, you know, they're, they're looking around the field. So there's a lot of visual scanning drills that we used to do. And then again, working on that evasion as a, as a key skill for the, for the locomotion of the referees. Mm. I, th- I think it's been a great insight to the referees. And especially if we've got some young listeners who want to go that, that way and be a ref or ex-players who are looking to be refs in even just a local comp or a semi-professional comp like your strength and conditioning program needs to be there and you can't just expect just to go into it oh yeah I used to play so I know the rules can run like you're going to be running a lot more and just that cognitive aspect as well is going to be really really draining so definitely so definitely get yourself a good SNC coaching program to be able to do that so yeah so moving on from the refs can you provide our listeners who don't know hit IQ with just sort of a brief summary of what um, you guys are doing there yeah, I'll, I'll sort of fill the gap. Um, so finishing my PhD with the refs after six years, I then, uh, the sort of COVID hit, so I wasn't really doing much. I was applying to different universities to look at an academic role. But uh, my former mentor at the referees, Cameron Black, he had sort of set all these systems in progress uh, for at the referees. He's the athletic development um, director at Newington College. So being in regular contact with him, he said, why don't you come across to Newington and give us a hand with our first and second 15? So for a year, I was involved in the rugby program at Newington, which was really great to as first sort of time I'd been directly embedded in the SNC program for the for the high school system. Uh, we had done testing and all that sort of stuff for um, adolescent athletes through the academies, but to be there sort of day in, day out, three days a week with those guys was really, really rewarding. Um, really getting involved in the school culture as well. Um, and it was through Cameron that um, my boss now contacted him because he was a, um, a former undergraduate with him. And he said, look, we're looking for someone uh, to come on board with HitIQ. Uh, we're trying to get these, this mouth guard technology out into the school system in particular. Uh, we've got the product now at a um, stage where it's, it can go commercially viable because we've got the data as accurate as we can get it. Um, and we can really see the need for this new wearable technology that measures head impacts to be start to roll out, not only to the elites, to the NRL, to the super rugby, to the AFL, but as we filter down through grassroots as well. So the company itself is uh, the only Australian based company that, that make this sort of technology. We're based in Melbourne. Uh, we've been around for six years and the majority of that six years has just been R&D to get the product where it needs to be. Um, we've been independently validated for hardware with the mouth guards through uh, University of Canterbury over in Auckland and also Virginia Tech over in the States. Um, the Canterbury Crusaders is one of our early adopters. So they, they use all the guards in their training and in competition as well. Um, we're, we're listed uh, on the stock exchange. So all of that funding has just gone into research and development of these mouth guards and um, the app for tracking and measuring head impacts. So we've got a team of about 30 and the vast majority of those people are data scientists or engineers <laughs> working in the labs down in Melbourne. So a real, relatively small commercial team, but it's, it's great to get on board. I saw it as a real career progression. Like I mentioned, I've always had a sort of interest in business but it's just sort of all really coming together for myself now to get back into the business world and to try and promote this product and the need and the use of this product for measuring head impacts and then giving doctors and GPs that objective information for diagnosing and treating concussion, particularly Mm. in the younger athletes. Mm. It it definitely seems like a product that needs to be there. Um, It's great that HitIQ is doing this and just 
just putting out this product and this knowledge and it's going to be really interesting to see over the next just decade of how much this product improves the game and improves training and and just helps players not just in the short term but over the long term of their careers as well so i'm re really excited to see how it goes yeah we like to think of it as it's sort of the next logical progression in wearable mm. tech i mean we've had mouth guards for you know several years now but now to have the instrumentation in there to record the head impacts not only in games where there's usually a doctor present but at training as well so often there mightn't be a doctor present you might have a physio but we need someone recording this data so then it, we're not getting any of the kids or anyone falling through the cracks mm. so that's primarily where we see the mouth guards being implemented at the moment not only in the elite but making sure you know at wednesday afternoon after school when you've got some rugby training that any of those head impacts are being flagged for one and then information has been given to the, the the parents of what to look for and how to escalate it if needed but then also how to manage any mm. sort of concussion symptoms post that as well mm. i think that's that's really important because concussion management has changed dramatically over the last just few years and it's mainly just piece of paper like you just fill it out the sports trainer or the doctor then here you go you got to go see your gp and if you don't have the luxury of having a doctor at training then it's just like well it's left up to someone with first aid maybe and well they are not really qualified to be able to help you and stuff and it's like oh we'll fill out this piece of paper yeah go see your gp and just having some some just raw data there and it will tell you the impacts tell you all the metrics that you need to know is going to be a, a big game changer and yeah it's, it's awesome Oh, and what we've been able to do, so there's a there's an online system that the AFL, Super Rugby, New Zealand Rugby, they all use for the uh, sideline HIA. So we were actually able to acquire that company late last year, and now they've come in on board with HitIQ, and the, the app is called CSX. And we've created a downscaled version for, for community and school footy so that exactly like you said, not all teams are going to have the resources to have a physio or a doctor, particularly at training. So anyone, even a coach or a parent or a, a spectator can record a head impact or a head injury and just give some basic information so that then once recorded digitally in the system, we can then prompt the parents and the athlete to then have that follow up with the doctor. So when they present to the doctor the next day or within as soon as possible, the doctor then has information about that incident. So they can have um, more information about again diagnosis but then follow up and treatment as well mm. so we're do, really do you, excited with do you think that is the main issue now facing contact sports is just we don't have any data to present it's just like i said it's just a piece of paper and then you manage the symptoms it's just like is that is that the main issue yeah i, I think so and that's like none of our technology at the moment will diagnose concussion what we do at hit iq is provide information for those medical professionals to make better decisions Mm. So we're not at a stage where we're going to say, you know, you were a mouth guard, it's pinged and says you have a concussion. We're nowhere near that. Mm. What is it? it just collates objective data so that the doctors can then review someone's complete history of head impacts, either from the week leading up to an incident or across their career. So if they've had one or two or three, as you know, often people that have a concussion are at higher risk of having a subsequent concussion. And then it's just about collating that information in a digital platform so that we can track that across a person's career and just better manage those people as well. Mm, I think it will provide a lot of key knowledge to people when they do get a little bit of a knock at training, like, oh, no, I'm fine. Like, But if you saw those little stars or twinkles, like that, that's a concussion. 
like you've, 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 you've got a head knock there. And I think it will help educate those people. Okay. I just had one. Maybe I can check my phone, look at my data from previously and, Oh, I might need to sit out of that drill. If the doctor's there, I'll go have a quick chat to the physio or just whatever. And I think it's, yeah, it's going to provide quality information and make more, more people well-informed. And that's, that's awesome. So. Yeah. And that's, that's what we want to do. We want to reduce the stigma around it. I mean, we play contact sports. The, the, the risk of concussion and the, and the event of concussion isn't going to change. It's a physical, it's a hard collision sport. What we want to do is better educate people and just reduce the stigma about having a concussion. You know, the, the hard man or the hard woman attitude mm. of just shrugging off, I think is what will change the most over the upcoming years as we get more and more data and greater understanding and greater research around not only concussion, but the subconcussive. So the, the, added load of sub-concussive hits throughout a training week and throughout a match, as we better understand that, then I think the stigma about having a concussion or concussion symptoms will just become commonplace. And you just treat it then like a more mm. like common injury. You know, we start mm. to periodize. You can look at your training week or specific drills with regards to head injury or head impact risk. And that will form decision-making when, you, when you're creating your program. Mm. How do you think players in just any grade can have that discussion at training. Like I've gotten, got a concussion, I've got a head knock. How do they, in your experience, approach their coach? If the doctor's not there, how, how should they go around approaching their coach and saying, I'm, I'm not feeling good, can I sit out? Yeah, and, and it can be difficult. I like, and it sometimes goes the other way where people people don't want to recognize or tell anyone about the signs of symptoms because they want to play. Mm. Like we understand that. And that's the first thing we don't want to do is rule people out unnecessarily. But again, I think it's just about education and it will shift and it, it may be led by the elite bodies. So the NRL, you know, Rugby Australia, AFL, once this technology becomes commonplace, what we hope is that it filters down into the grassroots so that, you know, there isn't that stigma around it and people are more willing to acknowledge, you know what, I've had a headache for a couple of days or even, even parents and family members, partners, if they notice any mood changes, uh, you know, my, my partner's not sleeping well. They've lost their appetite. Uh, in our app, we've also got the ability for the athlete themselves to record these daily symptoms as like a self-wellness check. Okay. And then that information goes to their doctor with, when they do their follow-up for their HIA, but also has a parent app. So if the parent notices anything with their child, again, moodiness, aggressiveness, things that are just out of place, they have the ability to record that in the app. And then that goes through to the doctor so that you get that total management plan and then they can track that over time as well. Mm. So for our listeners, don't, don't, if you're playing contact sport, don't be afraid to just have that conversation because at the end of the day, it's about your health and safety and the coach is there to help you obviously play the game at your best ability, ability, but they're there to also protect you as well from just yeah, getting well, worse or injury or just, yeah, and we don't want that just because it's a short term, like it, you got to think long term as well. I think people yeah, struggle to, to forget, like to remember that as well. But unless you're playing at the professional levels as well, if you're at school or a community, there's other aspects of your life, so your work life, mm. and we don't want those symptoms to affect the quality of your work or the relationships that you have at home. As more and more research is coming out now about the effects of, you know, uh, post-concussion or CTE syndromes that showed signs and symptoms of that aggression or moodiness or inability to sleep, confusion trouble concentrating you know mm. the more we acknowledge that and then can get proactive treatment or interventions at the start so if someone 
uh, if an individual is showing higher risk of head knocks in games or training, you know, there's things we can do as SNC coaches to start to prevent the, the severity when they do have a head impact, such as neck training, neck strength. Um, but also if particularly at the younger levels, if, you know, if you've got a flanker that's having 10 to 15% more head knocks and all the other flankers that you work with, is it a technique thing? Mm. So let's get some footage and have a talk to the coaches and say, look, when he's cleaning out a ruck, is he getting his head in the wrong position? Is he continually catching the hip or a knee of a defender that's over the ruck? Like, let's try and work with him to, to change that technique early on. Mm. So he doesn't have that predisposition for those head impacts. Yeah, especially if that young athlete has come to, say, rugby union or rugby league very late and hasn't got the fundamentals of how to tackle, it's really important for a coach to then identify that, okay, little Jimmy or little Susie, we need to take you to the side and do some extras before or after training on how to tackle properly. Because I'm just thinking about me, like my right shoulder is perfect. But then when I was tackling my left, I really exposed myself. And I maybe once every few so few like few weeks i would just get a stinger um and i was like oh no I'll just brush that off but it, then it wasn't until a coach like well it, yeah it's because you're opening up you need to be able to do the exact same thing you do on the right side so that that technical aspect which is a massive part of the game um, needs to be re revisited for a lot of athletes and yeah it would be interesting that if coaches can use their, their coaching tools and then go back and then teach proper technique to then limit um those head knocks as well. So yeah, it's, it's a definitely a big part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you briefly just talked about neck strength. How important is neck, neck strength for contact sports and to obviously be prepared for the demands, but also help limit um, concussion as well? Yeah, I think it's fundamental. Um, there's a lot more research and, it, and it's, it's a growing body of research with regards to specific neck strength interventions and the outcomes that it has on reducing the effects of concussion. Um, I'd sort of encourage any of your listeners to follow Dr. Kerry Peak. She's at the um, University of Sydney. So she's done a lot of work with neck strength interventions and heading in football, in soccer. Um, there's, an, there's a whole other range of... Um, physios out there that are uh, specialists in neck strengthening and training. But I think anyone that's working with rugby athletes should have some form of neck strength intervention. Now, obviously you would, uh, if you've got a younger athlete or a new person to rugby S and C, you start at the very basic. So it might just be isometrics, you know, holding different angles of your head just to begin that strength. I mean, obviously if you've done some scrum work or any neck strength and you realize that it, it, you can get doms from it quite quickly mm. and then you know people might be apprehensive to do it so you need to you need to do it quite intelligently and introduce it um periodize and build it up and progress that as your athletes get stronger and stronger and older and have a higher training maturity um but i think yeah particularly a lot of the dynamic strength work uh, for instance at newington uh, we would do a simple drill where we had the guys doing a, you know, a dumbbell reverse fly for some back strength. So to incorporate some neck work, we just had them get into a scrum position and rest their head on a bench. So straight away, they're holding some of their body weight on that neck. And then the dynamic uh, movement of that, of that movement then adds that little bit of dynamic stability to the neck as well. Um, mm. Scrum work on a fitball. So if you have a few guys chest on a fitball, push into a scrum and then balance and hold each other there so that their heads are going next to each other like they similar to the how they are in a scrum you know tiny little interventions that you can add like i mentioned uh when a when an athlete's having some downtime in between sets 
just get that isometric work on their head, pushing at different angles so that their neck is continually having that exposure to different sort of training mm. and dynamic strength. And then you can incorporate bands. You can incorporate like lots of different wrestling drills where they have specific neck strengthening. I mean, there's a whole plethora of stuff that people can do. Jump online. There's, there's heaps of neck strength work that you can do out there. And then there's additional apparatus. So if you want to go even further as your athletes get more and more mature, particularly with your forwards, what you might like to do is look at, you know, external resistance. So there's a lot of different equipment out there these days that you can look at and investing in that for specific neck strength training. Mm. How important do you think is warming up your neck for rugby sessions, especially contact and scrummaging sessions? There's something that you and I sort of spoke about that, you know, we monitor and periodize training loads, particularly with looking at, you know, running demands with GPS. That's where I think we will start to shift as well. Yes, that will still be in place, but then we will also incorporate head impacts. Obviously, you don't want too many head exposures before competition. So really planning your training week about risk or exposure to head impacts. So all of those things like warming up the neck, making sure that people are aware of what they're going into, um, you know, a lot of bracing techniques when they're setting in to make a hit, to tackle someone, just education and awareness. And I think it, it needs to be a fundamental part. So if you're working with these types of athletes, just train yourself up, have a look at what's out there and follow these people that are neck specialists because it's really fundamental mm. for reducing the concussion. I think that would be a much better way um, for say rugby because they came out last year and say, oh, you can only do 15 minutes of contact. And that's very open to interpretation. It's just like, well, that 15 minutes could be anything. But if you've actually put a safe program and a progressive program in there, you can slowly build it up and then educate the coaches, especially if they're just a dad or a mum and don't really have a background in any sports science or anything like that and just doing stuff. Like to be able to provide them a program, let's say like FIFA 11, like something like that guideline to be able to do it, like I think would be much um better approach to it instead of just saying you can only do 15 minutes during the week all right go nuts but yeah i think that would be a much better um, approach to it yeah it's, it's hugely subjective and, and what we what we envision is as more and more data comes out from from the guards and the the elite bodies start to understand more about you know head impacts that they then might start to produce you know recommended protocols or recommended training drills throughout the week and then set limitations based on objective impacts rather than just saying 15 minutes full contact, you know, yeah. saying like if an athlete has sustains a head knock over a certain threshold, then they, they should sit out or they should have this amount of recovery or let's not do this many per week. And the, the real issue is that we just, we don't have the data there at yeah. the moment to inform that decision-making. Like only now do we have the technology that's accurate enough to start to collate these huge databases that we need to really drive sports science and drive S and C with, informed knowledge about you know what should we be doing um with regards to our training mm. well we've probably already touched upon it but what can coaches and athletes do to best prepare them prepare themselves for contact sports well i think we're doing pretty good like and with regards to every injury from the neck down uh on you mean it's pretty well worse there's a lot of research out there and there's a lot of best practices that you can see there's some really good professionals in the field that um you know they give their uh, training drills away for free and they educate people. I think it's just going to be the same thing as we become more and more aware about concussion and about the impacts that cause concussion. Uh, there's just going to be that greater 
education piece around it and understanding. So I think as a young coach or even as a developing coach, just be aware that, you know, it, it is a major thing and there's still a, there's stigma around concussion, but as a coach, you can start to implement simple training things that can really start to affect and reduce that uh, likelihood of a, of a severe concussion. I mean, it's always going to happen. We're not going to eliminate it from the game mm. unless we start playing, you know, touch rugby. <laughs> While it's a contact sport, we're always going to have that risk of head knocks and concussion. So the reality is it's every time the athletes get out in the field, they're at risk of a concussion. But what we're trying to do as S&C is be proactive and preventative so that we can best prepare them for that contact. Awesome. And you've you summed it up really well, but just to re reiterate, what are, what are the key takeaway points that coaches, players, and parents um, need to get out of this this episode that we just done? Yeah, I think like we the, the kids themselves love playing rugby. They wouldn't be playing it if they didn't love it. Um, we're aware that it's a collision sport, and the sport bodies are doing their best to reduce and make it as safe as possible. Uh, from a commercial aspect, if I can throw the plug in, what we think should happen, you know, up to 50% of, of concussions are going unrecorded. So what we're trying to do is give people the tools to be able to do that, digitally record the incident, and then that will reinforce a follow-up by a medical professional. Again, it's about just reducing that stigma around concussion symptoms, acknowledging that and sharing that information. You know, don't be scared to say to people, you know, you know, I've had this ongoing headache, I'm not feeling great, something's not right you're better off getting in front of it now so that it doesn't become an issue during your whole sporting career and then affect, like we said, aspects outside of footy as well. So work and relationships and stuff at home as well. Mm, that's awesome. So what social media platform can people find you at? Uh, probably the best for myself is to go to LinkedIn. So Matthew Jeffries, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, or hit up the look up the Hit IQ website. So there's a profile where you can come to me. I'm the Asia Pacific uh, Business Development Manager. So any inquiries about the mouth guard or the uh, concussion app, you can go through the website and that will email directly to me. Or feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I do have some stuff on Instagram, but it's there's some stuff from the referee days back there, but it's mostly uh, food these yeah, days cooking yeah <laughs> cooking in a foodie. so if you want to jump on and have a look at some of the cooking we get up to mm. you can do that but mm. uh, i get ribbed about that a lot from a lot of the referees so that's i've transitioned away from referee training <laughs> to the home cooking but uh no linkedin's probably the best and then hit iq the website awesome so thanks for tuning in to another episode of elite rugby snc podcast remember to like subscribe and rate elite rugby snc on spotify youtube and instagram Sign up today to become a beast via the link in description or via Instagram page. Also sign up to our newsletter and receive free bonus content each and every single week. So don't wait, make that good decision and join Elite Rugby SNC today and take your game to the next level. So thanks everyone. And thank you, Matt. Thanks guys.